be here, you'll, you'll hear that Appalachian draw kind of right off the bat. It's not something I can hide. I told somebody between the services, you know, you can take people out of West Virginia, but you can't take the West Virginia out of them. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase or not, but it's, it's true. Uh, this is the, the second Sunday that I have been blessed to be able to preach in the state of Wyoming. And the first time was in Cheyenne a few years back, and it is a beautiful, beautiful state. Although coming from West Virginia, I really didn't know what to expect. I thought, well, maybe they've got a, a hitching post outside or something like that. I knew that horses and cowboys were a big deal here, but it's a beautiful, wonderful state. People have welcomed us and have been so kind uh, to my wife and my son and I. Uh, thank you. And I, I want to say that you've had a, a very good pulpit committee. I've met with a few now. And yours did a wonderful job of grilling me with incredibly tough questions. Uh, but they've done a, a wonderful job, again, of reaching out to my, my wife and I. So it's wonderful to be here. Please pray with me. Lord God, it's a blessing to be in your house this morning with this group of people. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our time together. And I pray that your name would be glorified. We ask all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to take you back. Uh, to something that happened roughly 40 years ago, not quite, about 38. My mom and I were standing in Spring Hill Bakery. Now, I know that means nothing to you, but in Kanawha County in West Virginia, Spring Hill Bakery is the place. I, have you got a bakery like that around here in Sheridan? No. <laughs> well, you see, you've got to imagine, okay? you just got to imagine. Uh, so we're, we're standing there in the line, and my mom was horrified when she looked down and saw me laying on the ground. Now let me tell you why I was laying down there, okay? So my mom and I were standing there in line. I was like four or five years old. I can remember this like it was yesterday. We were standing there in line. I looked to my left, and I saw a man standing there on crutches. And I looked down, and I saw he was, he was missing a foot. So I, I thought this bore further investigation. So I lay down on the ground, and I kind of looked across to see, yep, no foot. By the time my mom realized what I was doing, I had my head almost stuffed up that man's pants leg <laughs> to see where that foot was. Now, when people were looking, and they, people in line, it was pretty crowded. They saw what was happening. Where do you think, they saw me, but where do you think their eyeballs went after they knew what was happening? How in the world is she going to deal with this? <laughs> is she going to beat him? Is she going to yell at him? Is she going to jerk him up by his shirt collar? What's going to happen? Or is it going to be all the above? So that was a very tough position for my mom to be in. I mean, has it happened to you? Have your kids been doing something where you thought, oh, how am I going to handle this? How am I going to do I mean, I mean, do I... What's the appropriate response? Is it to spank? Is it to time out? Is it to this? Is it to that? What are these people going to think if I do what I'm really feeling right now? Are they going to call it CPS? See, all those things are very challenging for a parent, and that's just one of the relationships that we find ourselves in. God places us in these relationships in where there's often an authority, and then someone under that authority. The, the parent-child relationship is one. But some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're dreading going 
to that office tomorrow because you know that boss that you're going to have to put up with. And some of you are sitting here this morning, you're thinking about that employee that is a thorn in your side. And what can make this even more difficult is the fact that people are watching Christians very closely. And they want to know, how are you going to do this, you who proclaim to be a child of God? We want to talk about these roles this morning that we find ourselves in. How do I live out my faith in the home and in the workplace when I'm placed in these very challenging situations sometimes with, with my kids? And then for the kids... They're like, look, if this dude knew what my parents were like, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. And I'm called to obey them. How do you handle these things? How do we live out our faith in the home and in the workplace, navigating some of these very tough relationships? We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. We'll be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles there, please turn there with me or your phone app or whatever you may have. And we're going to see four things, four different roles, four applications for each role. While you're turning there, by the way, happy Father's Day to all the dads. The reason I chose this passage is because a big chunk of it deals with dads and how to deal with their kids. It'll also talk about with kids and how to deal with their parents. And it'll talk a bit about this employee-employer relationship. We'll tease that out a bit and you'll, you'll see what's going on there. But Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And there we read. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with them. So again, we're going to walk through these different roles that we see in this passage. Uh, this role of, of father and child, and, and then we'll talk about what it means in today's context. Uh, this master and bondservant, some versions say slave. And what we have in Ephesians chapter 6 is an application of what Paul puts forth in chapter 5. So if you look at the previous, uh, previous chapter, chapter 5, uh, verses 15 and 16, Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because... The days are evil. How do you walk wisely? How do you live out your life in days that are evil? And I think if Paul were here in this service today, he would say, yes, the days were evil then. They continue to be evil today. So, 
four roles, four different applications as we walk through this passage. So uh, we, live, we, we see now in verse 3, um, we go to verse 3 and we find there's some very straightforward instructions given to kids, verses 1 through 3, and it says to obey your parents in the Lord that it's right. And that phrase, in the Lord, indicates that ultimately it is God that you're obeying by obeying your parents. Now, that's, that's pretty heavy. As a matter of fact, our first inclinations of obedience to God come from obeying our parents. And it says there in the text that it is to obey God, to obey your parents. Then in obeying our parents, we're being obedient to God. Likewise, if you're being dishonorable or disobedient to your parents, you're being disobedient to God. And we're also given the reason for the obedience. We find it there in verse 3. It says that it may go well with you that you will live a long time on the earth. So what does that mean exactly? That I'm, I'm actually going to live longer if I'm obedient to my parents? Well, I want to go back to the Old Testament for a minute. I want to look at some passages there in the Old Testament that I think will give you a little clearer picture, perhaps, on what Paul's immediate audience may have been thinking about. So uh, let's go back to the Old Testament, and um, let's just, I want to run through some verses fairly quickly. Uh, now, now, the parents out there know what that statement means. They're thinking, well, yeah, I brought this kid in the world. I'll take him out of this world. I mean, that's my right, isn't it? Well... Let's see what the Old Testament says about that. In Exodus 21, 15, it says, Whoever strikes his father or his mother must surely be put to death. Yeah. In Exodus 21, 17, it says, Whoever treats his father or his mother disgracefully must surely be put to death. Uh, going on, De Deuteronomy 27, 16, Cursed is the one who disrespects his father and mother, and then finally in Deuteronomy 21, 18 through 21, you probably know where we're going here, and I'm going to summarize this. It says, if a person has a stubborn, rebellious son who pays no attention to his father or mother, and they discipline him to no avail, his father and mother must seize him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the city. They must declare to the elders of the city, our son is stubborn and rebellious pays no attention to what we say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, then all of the men of the city must stone him to death. These are pretty tough verses. I'll be frank. I'm glad I didn't live back in this time. Uh, I don't know how long I would have lasted until my parents dragged me out there to those city gates and said, we're done with them, figure it out. But you see the seriousness of this. You see the seriousness that the scriptures take and that the Lord takes of of the children being submissive and obedient to the parents. Um, by the way, we've got some, we got, I've seen a few kids out there. I want to ask you to raise your hands. I know you don't want to raise your hands. But I see a few of you out there. And this is, this is tough stuff, right? I mean, it's not easy. This is a pretty high calling. But the truth is we're no longer under the law. We're free from the law. So we've got to figure out, well, what do these verses mean for us today? I mean, thankfully, there's not some city gate out there you know, the, entering the town of Sheridan, I'm going to get dragged out to and stoned to death. That's, that's good to know. But then what does it mean? We can say that generally speaking, if we are more self-disciplined, 
Generally speaking, if we have obeyed our parents, that probably means <laughs> that we are going to live a more stable life, which tends to make one live longer. If you've not engaged in some kind of a self-destructive lifestyle, if you've been obedient, submissive to mom and dad, and they've, they've raised you in the right way, generally speaking, you will live longer. Now, that's, again, I'm emphasizing that generally, there's always exceptions. But a life that's been lived in rebellion uh, as a child can lead to rebellion in adulthood. And that pattern can continue. So if you're under the age of 18, you're still living at home, just listen up to me for a second. Because what I believe this passage is calling for kids is to walk with wisdom by obeying their parents. So I want to give you two steps, two easy steps. Easy for me. Two steps to obeying your parents. One is to listen, right? Because you've got to know what it is mom and dad are saying to you if you're going to obey them. And listening can mean making eye contact when they're speaking. It might mean taking that cell phone and turning it down so you're not looking at it while you're, while you're hearing from them. It may mean um, that you have to ask a question to understand what it is they're asking of you. They will not mind if you ask them a question to understand what they're asking you to do. They will take joy to know that you actually care enough to ask a question. So the first stage is listening. What is it that mom and dad are telling me to, to do? And the second step is to do it, right? Just simply to do. You've got the instructions, and then it's time to execute it. Um, and again, when they tell you to put the cell phone down or turn it off, you put it down and you turn it off. Even if they don't turn off theirs, go ahead and turn it off and, and set it down. Listen and do. I know that's not an easy thing. It's easy to say it, but I've been there. It's not forever. Just a little while longer. Then you'll have it all figured out and you can go out on your own <laughs> and do your own thing. So for the kids... Walking with wisdom at this stage in your life is to obey your parents. And that'll lead to what the scriptures say, well-being, and a long life. We move on to verse 3, and we see this second role that is, that's dealt with. And the message here is to the fathers. And there we read, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the first thing I see here is, well, like, why are they singling out the dads? Are the dads the ones that are more known for making the kids angry, or, or why is that? And understand that I want to go back and just help us to see what sort of culture Ephesus was in at the time. It had been, uh, it had been influenced by a number of different cultures. It was uh, part Israelite, so in ancient Israel culture, it was very patriarchal. Uh, the dad was in charge. And then uh, if you fast forward, the Greeks had also emphasized the city of Ephesus quite a bit. And in Greek culture, it was patriarchal. Again, and the dad was in charge. As a matter of fact, there was a philosopher named Philo. He was a contemporary of Christ. And he compared the relationship of the father to the family to being like the relationship of God over the earth. Give you some idea of what that Greek culture was like. And then in Roman culture. Uh, in Roman culture, again, the, the dad had more control even in the previous two. Uh, in the Roman culture, the dad had control of his sons until they died. There's a Roman historian named Dionysius, and he said this about a Roman father. 
He said the lawgiver of the Romans gave virtually full power to the father of his son. Whether he thought proper to imprison him, to scourge him, to put him in chains and keep him at work in the fields, or to put him to death. So these are the people that Paul is writing to. And uh, he's giving them a different lease, a different perspective on the treatment of children. Uh, one that was different than, than they had heard before. And in doing this, he mentions nothing of their right to place their absolute power over them. As in Roman law, what it had allowed. But instead, he offers them this different encouragement, this different instructions. He says, don't provoke your children to anger. And you know, that's Christianity coming down into the culture and challenging the way things had been done. And that part hasn't changed. Christianity is still coming down because the days are evil and challenging the way things are normally done. Now, this doesn't mean we don't discipline kids, right? Kids have to be disciplined. As a matter of fact, there's a biblical mandate um, to discipline kids. So we have that responsibility as, as, par as parents. This has the idea of how are you being an irritant to your kids unnecessarily. And I actually found six different ways that we commonly, as dads, provoke our children to anger. So these six things, I want to go through them. Uh, the first is by um, excessively disciplining kids. Excessively disciplining kids. Uh, you don't want to overdo it. My wife and I are parents of a soon-to-be two-year-old. And God bless us, we're trying to figure this thing out. Uh, I texted two of my buddies from high school. Uh, they're further down the path than we are in parenting. We're getting at this thing pretty late in life. And I, and I said, look, I think our two-year-old is entering the spanking season. And I'm like, how you do it, you know? I mean, he's still in diapers. Do you take the diapers off? H how many whacks do you give them? Um, what do you do? And they've done such a good job with their kids. I'm just like listening to everything they're saying. They said, well, you know, you don't, don't spank them in anger. Um, you don't want to do damage. <laughs> they said, you want to, you know, sin stings, so you want the spanking to sting, but not, so they're giving me these guidelines. And one of the questions I had was, well, how many whacks? And one guy said, I always do three whacks, one for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. <laughs> We've been friends since we were five years old. <laughs> Aim for the back of the legs. They said, don't take the divers off. But you want to avoid excessive discipline. It needs to be there, but the punishment needs to fit the crime. Second is to be consistent in discipline. Uh, you don't want to just discipline on how you're feeling in the moment. If you're angry, you may need to just take a break. Uh, you don't want to spank because you're mad. You don't want to be mad in this moment and discipline in this way. And then when you're feeling good, discipline in a different way. Uh, that can create instability with, with a child. They don't know, quite know what they're going to get based on the mood of their, their parent. And one of the biggest problems with that is the kids see straight through it, and you can lose your legitimacy. So be consistent in discipline. Third is unkindness. You don't want to ever deal your child a hand of unkindness. And and what I mean by that, you know, the world out there is going to be unkind to kids. Uh, and, and you've experienced that. You know, the name-calling, the teasing, the bullying, uh, it happens. 
in the home, you don't want to continue the teasing and the name-calling. And I, dads, if you do that, be very careful. Um, what are you doing to your child if you're calling them names or teasing them, especially if they're having to endure that in school? So be very careful. I was blessed to have a very kind dad. Never called me a name, um, so don't be unkind. The fourth is favoritism. Uh, favoritism is when you esteem one child over another, and it often happens in terms of time. If there's one child receiving more time than another, you're committing this, this sin of favoritism, and it is a cancer clear back into the book of Genesis. If you recall, uh, Jacob had 12 sons, 11 of those sons teamed up on one named Joseph, all because their dad had favored them. And yes, those sons should not have done that, but they aren't 100% to blame either. It's ironic. You know, they threw their brother Joseph into a pit. He ended up being sold into slavery. God redeemed it in his grace. Ironically, Jacob himself uh, knows the sting of favoritism because he was favored over his brother Esau. And you see how this chain can continue on if one parent doesn't stand up and stop it. And if you saw a sibling favored as a child, you don't want to continue that on in your own parenting. So avoid favoritism. It can tear a family apart. And the fifth is overprotection. And I remember when I was working as an admissions counselor at Dallas Theological Seminary, I was introduced to this term, helicopter parent. Have you ever heard of helicopter parent? You kind of get this picture of the, the child, although they're not a child at this point, but the parent continues to just hover around like a helicopter. And I remember these 25 and 26-year-old students coming into this graduate school, and mom and dad were still there arguing for them, trying to forget, uh, convince these professors that they'd given them the wrong grade. And like, come on, are you, are you serious? And there's actually a medical, this is doing so much damage to kids, there's a medical defin <clears throat> definition of overprotection. It says undue or excessive protection or shielding, specifically uh, excessive restriction of a child's behavior in allegedly, and allegedly is a key word there, in the interest of his or her health and welfare by an anxious, insecure, or domineering parent. So be honest with yourself. Are you trying to protect this child for their own good? Are you, or, or are you doing it out of your own anxiety? Why is it that you continue to hover? Um, are you trying to satiate your negative feelings in some way? So that fifth one is overprotection. And finally, the sixth one is putting too much pressure on your child to achieve. Too much pressure on your child to achieve. And again, what is really lying at the root of that? Uh, and dads can be notorious for this. And, and frankly, I've been somewhat convicted in my own life. You know, looking at my two-year-old. He's not even two years old yet. Has he met these milestones yet? Is he doing what he's supposed to do? How's he matching? You know, is, the list goes on. <coughs> if it's your own ego that's pushing you to, push your, to, to make your child achieve beyond what they're able. What does that say about your identity? We sang a wonderful hymn this morning about not being a slave to fear. If you find your identity and your worth 
and how your child is doing, you're not finding your identity in Christ. You're fearfully doing something because you feel like it's a reflection on you. So be very careful in putting too much pressure uh, on your child to achieve. If you feel like your value is coming from how your child makes you look, then there's an issue there. So, dads, don't provoke your kids to anger. Rather, it says to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So how do we do that? I had a friend of mine that told me, he said, you know, growing up I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every single time those doors were open. <laughs> are you making sure your kids are in church? Are you talking about what they're learning there? Are you discussing the gospel with them? Are you making sure they understand that salvation comes by faith in Christ? It's a pretty simple message. Are you making sure they know it? Do they understand it? Um, this kind of instruction uh, requires you spending time with them, too, by the way. Now, I've got a big black leather recliner. That thing is comfy. Sometimes being a good dad means I've got to get up out of my big black leather recliner. And it may mean that you've got to leave the golf clubs in the, in the garage for a weekend. It may mean that you skip a day of hunting. That's dangerous to say that around here. I know, I know. But how are you sacrificially spending time with your kids? And are they at the age where you need to start bringing them along on the hunting trip and the golf trip? But you've got to teach them these skills. So how do we walk wisely? One, for kids, it's obeying their parents. Two, for dad, it's instructing your kids. And then we, we move on to verses 5 through 9. And Paul introduces two new roles. And then we get to verse 5, we read, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Now let's stop there for a second because you may have a version that says slaves. And we need to draw a distinction from the kind of uh, bond servanthood or slavery that Paul's talking about uh, as opposed to what went on in the South historically. One, this was not an issue of race. Um, you could be enslaved regardless of your race. Secondly, people would freely enslave themselves if it would help them to pay off a debt. So instead of having Visa or MasterCard, right, if you needed funds, you could go and you would have to actually enslave yourself to someone. And you could receive an education while you were a bondservant or enslaved. Uh, there were lawyers who were uh, enslaved and bondservants. So it is different than what you find in the South. Um, and then he uses some really heavy language uh, he says to obey them. And we go back to verses 5 through 8. It says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. So he's using this really intense language, and he's calling us to show respect and, and a reverence even to those who are in places of authority. Now, when we're trying to take what Paul's saying and, and how he's saying the, the one who's under authority should treat that, who, the, the one who's in authority, we really need to put it in context more of the working relationship. Uh, some of you are employers, 
as some of you are employees. And as employees, you do have the freedom to quit a job if you've just got a really horrible boss or you're in a horrible situation. But while you're in that position, you are to obey that boss. Uh, he's the one in charge. Um, and Paul says that we're going to do this as we're, we're working for God himself. Now, what does that mean? You know, that means it's very important how I'm spending my time at work. Am I Facebooking? Am I not getting my job done because I'm not really doing what I've been tasked to do? Uh, and by the way, these slave owners, they had, a, they had a reputation for being extremely cruel. They actually thought that cruelty would produce loyalty um, in, in the, the slave. It kind of reminds me of this poster I saw once. Actually, it was on a mug. It said, the beatings will continue until morale improves. Have you seen that one? Just think about that for a minute. It doesn't, doesn't work so well. But he doesn't say you obey because he's a nice man, because he's looking out for you. You see, it's not natural to do this, but it is Christian. It is Christian to live this out, and that's countercultural. Because, you know, the days continue to be evil, and time is short. And, you know, I know that some of you have had very bad bosses. Remember I was working uh, for the Navy. Uh, I had a boss, and I remember the very first meeting, we were sitting there in the conference room. He just, he cussed a guy out from one end to the other, and then sent him out of the conference room. I thought, oh, my gosh, what have I gotten myself into here? And then I found out that there were people in my office that had refused to take CPR lessons because they, th they, they said they'd have some... Uh, moral obligation to help this man if he was dying. <laughs> I mean, that's bad. They didn't want to help if he was dying. So, um, again, though, we are called to obey this person. So we can walk wisely by obeying our boss. Working for them as though we're working for God himself. Not easy. Then we get to this last rule that Paul mentions in verse 9. In verse 9 we read, Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and ours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. So now we have the role of someone who's in authority, who have people working under them, employees, in this case in the scriptures it's saying the bondservant or the slave, and it says to treat them with the same spirit of integrity and goodwill they should be treating you with. And what was the reason? Well, it's because God is watching. And he's not partial. It doesn't matter if you have money and power. These things are not impressing God. And he says, I'm watching you to stop your threatening. There's no favoritism with him. By the way, if you're someone in that position, if you're a manager or you have your own business and you have employees, and you kind of want to get a sense of what your relationship is like with them, all you have to do is have someone come into your office to offer CPR lessons. <laughs> and if, ever, if they all refuse to take it, now you've got some idea of how they may be viewing their boss. So in this case, as an employer, you can walk wisely by valuing your employees. Are you encouraging them? Are you affirming the work that they're doing? Do they know that you care about them? Is your first inclination to defend them when someone's bringing up charges against them. So we have these four roles that we can walk uh, with wisdom by obeying parents, instructing our kids, obeying our boss, and valuing our employees. You know, I started out this morning telling you this story 
uh, about my mom uh, in that bakery. Does anybody want to know how she handled that? It's, yeah, oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you. So she, she's a wise, wise woman. And she knew me well enough to know that I really wasn't being disobedient uh, by, by sticking my head up this man's pants leg to find out if he had a foot there or not. She knew that. She knew I was inquisitive. She, she actually was able to divert my attention to the cookies in the display case at the bakery. And she was able to do that without, the, and I verified this because I talked to her this past week about, she remembers this whole incident. I said, you remember that time at the bakery? She went, oh, I remember that time at the bakery. It's, uh. <laughs> she said she was able to do that without that man even knowing that I had been looking up his pants leg trying to find his foot. And I thought, what a picture of this godly wisdom to be able to navigate a situation like that where she didn't embarrass me, she didn't punish me excessively, she um, didn't embarrass the man. I thought that's how the love of Christ works. It seeks the best for everybody. And even though we may not do things perfectly, when we conduct ourselves in our relationships, the way the scriptures tell us, <clears throat> as the Holy Spirit guides us, we're not perfect, but we can point to the one who is and show people the love of God and how we react in these situations. Please pray with me. <coughs> Father, we, uh, we're so grateful to be called your sons and daughters, that you've given us an identity, that we know who we are, God, because you have told us who we are, that we're dearly loved by you. Lord, help us to walk with wisdom as we navigate difficult, authoritative relationships in our life. Help us to walk with wisdom because the days are evil. We love you, Lord. We ask all in the name of Jesus we pray.